0: Good morning, and Peace be with you. It's good to see you all. It's good to be with you. My name is Jonah. I'm one of the pastors here. A uh, couple things, real quick, before we dive in. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, so I'm a little extra excited this morning. Um, but a couple things first. Uh, congratulations on making it into the the room this morning. I know we took you out in parts of the building you may have never seen before. Uh, if you look to your left and then use your mind's eye. To see through that wall, there is a field of destruction on the other side of that wall. Where once, if you, if maybe last week was the first time you ever came here, and you're on that like Easter carryover, like we'll give you two tries, Christians, and now you're here, and like it's all confusing. Well, we had child-sized creepy bathrooms over there, and they are destroyed. So if you didn't go to the bathroom last week, you have missed your opportunity to use the creepy elementary school bathrooms. They are no more. So pay attention. Uh, We're sending updates out on the city, on Twitter, sending pictures of what all that stuff looks like as the destruction goes on. But the next few weeks are going to be confusing. We're going to be inconvenienced as there's various stages of power being turned off, water being turned off. Uh, Thanks, Colkin Coffee, for brewing our coffee for us this morning. Like It's just going to be a little confusing for us. And so if you're a member This is a time where let's remember why we're doing this, right? Like there's videos on the internet that explain our vision. We've had meetings and let's remind one another, okay? Because it's going to be confusing and inconvenient for a few weeks. If you see people that look a little confused, uh, just go out of your way to talk to them, maybe show them around. Um, There's some dancing, you know, that's involved when you drop your kids off and then walk through the parking lot, and we have visitors coming all the time. So for the next few weeks, let's hang in there together and go out of our way to make sure we're letting people know what's going on around us. Our hope is that we'll be able to open up this hallway so that we'll be able to walk through as construction is going on. Um, It is uh, it's not literally a minefield. Doesn't it bother you when people say literally, and it's like, that's not actually literally what that means. Um, but you know, you don't want people walking around, there's like wires hanging down and stuff, and that's not for the kids. You know, it's not for the kids. So hopefully at some point, that won't be shut down the whole time, but it, it may be for a few weeks. So let's hang in there. Uh, way to go. We raised the money, right? It's going to happen. So that's exciting. But, um, so thank you guys. Let's hang in there. And uh, one other thing, this is exciting. Uh, For the first time, we're sending our students to S2 ministry out. They're going out to a summer camp this summer. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) all the people in the front are excited. I'm personally excited about this. I became a Christian at a summer camp that I didn't want to go to, um, but I was kind of forced to, and then I came, and now here we are. these things tend to be a little bit expensive, so we're doing a fundraiser for it, and I love our S2 people because they're a little bit crazy in what they're doing. Um, anybody been to Breakout, Louisville, that thing? It's like where you just choose to be put in handcuffs and then see if you can escape. Um, and so we're doing this thing uh, that they're calling Adventure Danger Date Night, where it's 10 bucks uh, per person or per group. And it's essentially, you'll be put in a room and you've got to escape from it. There's six different challenges where you and your team will have to escape. All of the money goes to help pay for uh, this summer camp for the kids. I've been told if you want to come, you should get somebody on your team who has small hands. Um, I don't know what all that means, but I, small hands, if you have small hands, this is your opportunity, okay? Uh, well, there's a sign up. I think we have a slide. This is where to sign up. Sojournstudents.com slash adventure. Adventure Danger Date Night is what it's called. There isn't actually danger in there, but it sounds enticing. 10 bucks, help our kids go to camp, Saturday, bulletin, do the thing, amen, all right? They don't pay me to do announcements, so I hate doing this, okay? Let's move on to the sermon, all right? We good? All right. So, I do really genuinely love this passage of scripture. It's called The Road to Emmaus. Um, Part of what's fascinating about it me and Luke 24 in general. So Luke is this historian who the gospel of Luke is a biography of Jesus. And Luke 24 gives us these three stories about the resurrection, what happened at the resurrection and and after the resurrection. If you go to the book of Acts, the same guy Luke wrote the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter one, you'll find Luke saying that Jesus spent 40 days alive after the resurrection, appeared to hundreds of people, did all kinds of stuff, So he was on there for a long time. We spent a lot of time, talked to a lot of people. Try to think about all the stuff you did, all the people you've talked to, all the places you've been in the last 40 days, right? And most of us live pretty ordinary lives. You're not Jesus. So think about how much is involved in that 40-day period of time. We get to Luke 24, who's writing, again, the biography of Jesus, and he gives us three stories. 40-day window period of time. We get to Luke 24, and he only gives us three stories which should clue us in to something very important is happening in these three stories. Uh, there's probably a ton more that could have been written, and there's something about these stories that Luke is saying these are worthy of deep reflection. These are mines that you're not going to dive into or mine all there is, excavate all there is in one sermon. This is worthy of a lot of reflection and digging into. Uh, I encourage you guys, uh, Sojourn, there's four churches across the city, and usually our sermons are pretty similar. We're working together all through the week, crafting our sermons, and this week, it's four completely different sermons. Uh, They're not contradicting one another or anything like that, but there's so much in here that we can take away from. I encourage you to go listen to that and see there's just such depth and richness to what's going on in these texts. And I was struck this week, it seems to me, um, that Luke is trying to help us in this particular story, The Road to Emmaus, answer this question, especially in light of Easter. Uh, how do you become a Christian? What must happen in that point of spiritual blindness to spiritual um, awakening? What, what is, the, is the tipping point? And what's so fascinating to me, the more I've, uh, I think, sat with this or reflected on it, is I think the way you become a Christian isn't all that different than the way you remain a Christian or the way that you grow as a Christian. And so I just want to, there's kind of three uh, realities about the Christian faith that have stuck out to me as I've been reflecting on this Road to Emmaus story this week. Uh, And I think it speaks to that question, how do we become a Christian? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, The first reality, I see it, it's right at the beginning of the passage, Uh, Christianity is a walking faith. And you're like, what in the world are you talking about? Uh, So verses one through three, you'll see the word walk three times. Two disciples were walking. They were talking while they're walking. And then Jesus came a-walking. There's a -a, walka, 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 right? Like walk, walk, walk. And here's a pro tip for you. The Bible was written to oral cultures, okay? People who were used to hearing stuff. And so one of the ways that they would help you learn the Bible, but then also help you uh, think about make connections in the Bible is they would use familiar words, words that you would know, so that when you hear this, it would make you think of other sections of the Bible, okay? So when there's repetition of words, when you see stuff happen over and over in the Scriptures, or you see a word repeated in a couple of verses, that's the author's way of trying to trigger your mind to a theme of the Scriptures or something that's talked about throughout the Scriptures. So this is Luke saying, walk, 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 okay? Okay. Think about walk. So just hold this over here for a second before we talk about what walking means in the Bible. But you gotta see that. This is Luke trying to get you to pay attention to the idea of walking in the Bible. Think about in your own life why you go on walks or what a walk means for you when, uh, when you do it, when you go on a walk. Some of you, it's like, I blew out my knees, so I go on a walk for exercise. I get that. These guys, they don't, they don't have any uh, other mode of transportation, right? So they're walking. These several miles. uh, I get that. Some cultures, you gotta walk. What else though? Uh, Imagine um, maybe you went to, anybody uh, go to Thunder yesterday? Thunder of Louisville? Okay, you'll have children, right? Um, (laughs) Two people. Maybe it's more of a Kentucky thing. I don't know. I am excited. I like Kentucky Derby. I like the whole deal around it. Hypothetically speaking, you went to some party over the weekend, okay, since none of us went to Thunder parties. you meet, you're at a party, right? And you meet somebody, and imagine like two minutes in, they're like, hey, pal, what say me and you, just the two of us, get out of here and go for a walk? Just me and you, man. Let's just let's go for a walk around the neighborhood. How would that feel for you? <laughs> Part of it would be like, what's this guy trying to pull right now, right? Like, does he drive a van? <laughs> you know, like, uh, be something that, that would make me a little bit, Suspicious and uncomfortable. You don't typically find yourself going on a walk with a stranger. Why is that? Who do you go on walks with? Yeah, your friends, like people you're, you're close with. In, in most cultures, it doesn't really happen in America because, you know, we've got some issues around sexuality. In most cultures, you go on walks with people you hold hands with. It doesn't matter if you're men or women, Right? Men and men walking down the street holding hands because you're close to them. It's an intimate moment. It's where you talk it out. It's where you discuss issues. Imagine the last person that you went on a walk with, and I would be very surprised if it was not someone that you were really close to. And you'll be... When's the last time you went on a walk that lasted more than five minutes? I would be very surprised that you didn't find yourself talking about something significant something that really mattered to you. Why? (laughs) Walking, there's something about walking that draws people together and frees us to be close to one another. I'm not totally sure what's going on there, but it it is. And the Bible, as in so many other instances in the human experience, confirms for us what we already know to be true. So we know, we experience things and find them to be true and come to the pages of the scriptures and see like, oh, God's been trying to say this to us for a long time. Uh, In the the Bible, depending on the translation, uh, you'll find between 200 and 300 references to walking. Uh, The first person, anyone want to guess who the first person that walks in the Bible is? someone in the back said it, you got to speak up in the back. God. Yeah, in Genesis 3, God is walking in the garden. Adam and Eve were doing Lord knows what. Get it? Get it? Because he does, right? Because he was walking in the garden. But Isn't that amazing? God's there walking in the garden. So we see this picture of God walking in the garden. After God redeems his people from slavery in Israel, listen to this promise that he gives to them. So he sets them free from captivity. Listen to this promise he gives to them. He says, I will walk among you. I will be your God. You will be my people. That's an interesting way to put it. I will walk among you. What do you mean? I will be your God. You will be my people. If you look at heroes in the Bible or the people that are held up as these pictures of closeness with God, intimacy with God, think of people like Moses. People like Enoch. How is their relationship with God described? These guys were so tight with God. These were men who what? They walked. They walked with God. In the Bible, over and over, what you'll find is that walking is a metaphor for intimate relationship. It's a way of describing closeness of intimacy. You know who's described as walking more than any other person in the Bible? Jesus, yeah, that's your, that's your best, safest church guess, right? And in this case, you would be correct. No one walks in the Bible more than Jesus, and that is not a coincidence. So Christianity as a walking faith, this speaks to both the purpose and the pace of our faith. And here's what I mean. The purpose of our faith is relationship with Jesus. The purpose of Christianity is to know Jesus. And you can't become a Christian until you want to know Jesus. You must find him compelling. You must find him beautiful. Notice I didn't say you must really enjoy Christians, or you must love going to church on Sundays, or you must love the music, right? Like, none of that. You must find Jesus beautiful. You must want to know him. You must want to find or you must find him compelling. Uh, you can't simply want something from him. You have to want him. And, and what's more, listen now, the purpose of Christianity is not following rules. It's not a certain set of behaviors. It's not even a certain kind of lifestyle. Or The, the purpose of faith is relationship with Jesus. Um, I'm going to give you, here's a free mind-blowing experience. You already have your mind blown? Say yeah. I'm going to do it right now. Here we go do you want to know God's big plan for your life? Right? I I will prophetically speak it into you right now. God's big plan, goal, desire for every single one of you for your life is to know you and be known by you. That is what he's doing in all of your losses, in all of your confusion, in all of your victories, in all of the things that We can make sense of and that we can't make sense of. God's big plan for your life is for you to be a deep soul that knows how loved you are by him and that you can love him deeply. The purpose of the Christian faith is to know Jesus and walk intimately with him. The second point, this Christianity as a walking faith speaks to the pace of our faith. I'm excited about the student summer camp, because I became a Christian at a student summer camp. But it's taken me about a decade to kind of outgrow some student ministry stuff, Um, because I became a Christian. Usually in student ministry, there's a lot of hype, um, a lot of excitement, and usually when you become... I've, I've seen a ton of high school students, thousands of high school students become Christians at summer camp, and... And the hours after that conversion experience, it's fun talking to them now because they're like, I'm going to go home and change everything. And next month, I'm going to change the world. You know, like by the end of the week, I'm going to obey my parents. I'm going to lose all this weight. I'm never going to drink again. I'm going to memorize the Bible. I'm going to repaint my uncle's house. And they're going to just do everything that they've ever wanted to do. And they're going to do it in two weeks because they're going to change the world in 10 days or less. And then, you know, it it takes a little longer. Uh, They experience some degree of inevitable burnout or exhaustion. Uh, Some of us became Christians in cultures that have, have pursued hype or churches like God help us at Sojourn that have just kind of jumped from one hype experience to the next, uh, And, and we run in that for 20 years or 30 years and find ourselves kind of perpetually guilty and wonder what's going on. Uh, or here we are, it's like, man, I've been struggling with the same sin for like six months. I must not be a Christian. And then you do that for 20 years and you're still struggling I've talked to my, my wife and I have talked about this story I'm about to share, so it's cool, don't worry about it, don't like get weird about this, so I had a crush on another girl one time for like a minute, like just barely a minute in college, and I can remember the precise moment I knew it wasn't going to work out with her. Uh, she didn't know I had a crush on her, because um, I was playing the game, and if you're like, what game? That's why you're single. Okay? free advice. And if if you're not laughing right now, go talk to a married guy. He'll explain the situation for you. So I was playing the game. Y'all know what I'm saying. And she was like, man, I just just can't wait. I remember we're riding in the car. She had this old Honda Accord, um, and it was stick shift because she was cool. And she was like, I just can't wait for a boy to ask me out on a date. And I was like oh what kind of day would you like to go on you know doing that research and she was like mm, I just want I just want a boy to ask me to go for a jog and we can just run and talk all afternoon <laughs> and I was like it ain't me babe. <laughs> you know like that it just ain't it and believe it or not, I was in shape at that point in my life. Like, I could run. I was running at that point in my life. But here's the point. It's like, baby, you'll be talking. I'm going to be wheezing, right? Like, no sane human being talks while running. Some of you do. Like, you go out, you jog and talk. I just want you to know everyone else thinks you're strange. No one does that. But here's the point. A lot of us... Step into faith, thinking that Jesus is inviting us onto a sprint. And we start sprinting, and we find it very difficult to talk or interact with Jesus. You see what I'm saying? We find it very difficult to interact with him, to know him, and we find ourselves deeply exhausted. And at the end of that, we don't know Jesus either, because we haven't been able to talk the whole time. The, the pace of Christianity is a walking pace. Jesus invites us to grow at a talking conversation pace. And now there'll be times where this will be frustrating for you uh, because we want to change faster, right? Like we want the healing to happen faster. We wish that we were farther along, but listen to me. There is so much more power in the walking pace of Jesus than there is in that fast transformation Um, here, it's bad to do two illustrations right in a row, but here you, I'm gonna do it, here you go. Um, in my yard, in my driveway, there was once a tree that it got termites in it, and so we cut it down and did, moved it out. But where there's a root went under my driveway, and there's a little bump, where there's some cracks, because the root started busting up on my driveway. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you live in an old n- neighborhood, where the sidewalks are busted up, right? Because the big tree roots, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? The tree roots do the thing. Now imagine, let's say let's go back 10 years. I take an acorn to that spot on my driveway of the asphalt. How long would it take me with that acorn to boom, 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 crack my driveway, busting it with an acorn? Or how long would it take you to take an acorn to bust the concrete sidewalk in front of your house? Probably never, right? How many acorns would you go through before maybe you get a little like divot in there, let alone cracking the whole thing? But you put an acorn in the ground and it dies, and you give it some time. And that asphalt does not stand a chance to the power of that oak tree. It destroys the concrete. Oh, the the power of the walking pace of Christianity. If we're willing to accept the fact that Jesus is inviting us onto a walk and not a sprint. How do you become a Christian? You must begin walking with Jesus and you you must sit out on a lifelong journey of transformation, relationship with Jesus. Christianity is a walking faith. And if you follow along Into that next part of the story, uh, you see this word transformation hinted at. I I think Luke is trying to, to me at least, he's saying, Christianity not only is a walking faith, it's a transforming faith. And that's a big word. Transformation, it it means a thorough or dramatic change. It's an overhaul. It's taking it down to the studs. It's not minor surgery, right? It's It's not a repaint. It's not a remodel. It's, it's wiping it out and starting over. It's, it's dramatic. This is the point that I think makes Christianity very difficult for most of us to accept. Certainly in this area, the idea of going on a walk with God sounds compelling, I think, and that we get to know one another, and I get to be close with him over time. That sounds compelling. That's an easy sell, But when we adhere that Jesus is after transformation, I think this is why the disciples missed Jesus' message. Not just here, I'm saying up to this point. Uh, I'm not going to talk much about it, but there's such glorious, delicious irony going on in the story. I encourage you to go home and read it and just see. It's it's hilarious. Jesus walks up to these guys and essentially says, Hey, fellas, (laughs) why so down? Why are you so glum? And they hilariously ask him, don't you know what's been going on? Like they're stunned that someone in the area of Jerusalem would not know what's happening. And they, of all people, ask Jesus. Like, can you, don't you think part of Jesus wanted to be like, I have an idea, right? Like, I have an idea of what's been going on. But he holds back. They tell Jesus about this man named Jesus, right? You see, see it's funny. About this man named Jesus who was crucified and died And then they share why they're so devastated in verse 21. They say, we had hoped he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. And the key word here is rescue. They had hoped he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. Uh, Maybe your translation of the Bible has that word as redeem. Um, It's a big word. There's a lot happening in it. And the core of it, it, it means to liberate. It means to set free from oppression it means to release from slavery and in their minds messiah was going to come and he was going to set israel free from roman oppression notice they're talking about israel here they're going to set israel free they're going to rescue israel messiah would it was the nation that needed fixing in their minds they had political aspirations for jesus they were looking for revolution and they missed the message of transformation And this is how so many people come to church. They come with a problem, a real problem, an honest problem. I'm in a bad way. And so I come to church for a fresh start. I cannot tell you how many times I've met someone after a service and they're like, man, I'm in a real mess. And I just came here hoping to get right with God and get a fresh start. You ever notice how everyone learns to pray when they've done something really dumb? Like, right on the heels of doing something dumb. Oh, Jesus, if you would get me out of this. It's the college prayer. If you get me out of this, I will never drink again, right? God, if you would just give me this, then I would... Maybe you came to Jesus looking for help with many good, admirable things. God, if you would just fix my marriage... We will go to church every Sunday. Listen, wanting your nation to be free from tyranny is not bad. It's like not something to repent of. It's not bad to want to be out of slavery. It's not bad to want a better marriage or fill in the blank. But you have to see that the transformation God is after goes far deeper this is why that first point is so important. Remember, God is inviting you into a walking faith. His fundamental interest is not in your nation, your behavior, or your possessions. I'm going to say that again for the people in the back. God's fundamental interest is not in your nation, in your behavior, or your possessions. It's with you. God is most interested in knowing you, God's biggest desire is you. He wants you, not just you to act a certain way or you to do certain things or you to say certain things. He wants you and to know you and to be with you and to relate with you. And so when these guys are saying, we thought Jesus would fix our politics, listen to what Jesus says to them. He looks at them and says, you foolish people. And if he was saying this today, it's, this is what Jesus is saying. You idiots. This is indictment. He's not being silly. He's not being gentle. He's saying, you idiots. How have you missed it? You not see what I've done. I haven't come to set you free from Rome. I've come to set you free from sin and death. How do you become a Christian? You must see that the greatest problem in your life is you. Have you ever taken a moment and stepped back and looked at all of the things I'm angry about, all of the things I've been critical about, all of the issues I've had, all of the problems, all of the disappointments, everywhere I've been and I've had a problem, what is the common denominator there? You are! You are brother, you are sister. And I'm not saying all of the bad things that have happened in your life are your fault. I'm just saying, if you're not willing to see that you are crooked, you are going to have a very hard, very angry, very bitter life. You are the biggest problem in your life. And if Jesus is going to come and he says, I want to know you, then he's going to have to do business with you, not just your stuff. Not just where you live. Not just who you vote for. Not, not just your opinions on sexuality or what you do with money. He's going to have to do business with your soul. With the way you are a human being. You want freedom from Rome while you're digging your own grave. You're, you're arguing about what flavor of popsicle to get while refusing your cancer treatments. Here's what this looks like, practically. You have this thing that you really want fixed. And it's probably a good thing. Let's just say it's your marriage. You want it fixed so bad. You want it to get better. Your heart's fixated on it. Your heart's set on it. Your world revolves around it. If it, if this thing. If this were better, everything would be okay. If this were the way it was supposed to be, then everything would be okay. So your, your world revolves around it. One of two things will happen. One, it gets better. You get in counseling, you go to church, you get in community group, and it gets better. And then you live in fear that it'll get worse again. You've gotten a taste of what it being bad looks like. It gets better, and you live in fear that it goes sideways again. So you cling tightly to it, and you live in fear. Or it gets worse, and the divorce happens. Or you just live as strangers, and the bitterness grows, and you lose it. It gets worse. And then you live with despair, because you've lost it. In either scenario, you are a slave to whatever that thing is, even if it's a good thing. The nature of sin is to take a good thing and pervert it. Sin is a parasite. There's no like sin monster that floats around out there. Sin attaches onto something good that God has created. He twists it and takes something beautiful and makes it ugly. So something like a marriage that God has created for joy and life and the flourishing of two people becomes something ugly that can crush and destroy. And I think fundamentally what this does to us as humans is it, it leads us to set our hopes on lesser things, things that cannot satisfy our souls, that leave us perpetually thirsty, that leave us enslaved, enslaved. This is what Jesus has come to set you free from, slavery to lesser things. The only thing that will satisfy us, that can carry our hopes, that can carry our griefs and our losses is the king of the universe, God, Jesus himself, and worshiping him. Jesus has set us free from tyranny and slavery to these lesser things so that we can turn our eyes to him. If you want to become a Christian, you have to see that Jesus has come to transform you So we come to him because we want him and because we want a new me. I want a new me. You want a new you, not just stuff. I mean, have you lived long enough? Are you tired of the pattern happening over and over and over again? Have you done enough silly things? Have you brought enough destruction in relationships to maybe think that you're not so trustworthy? To be just a little bit skeptical about, you know, do you really know what you want? You really know what's best for you? Come to him because you want him, to know him, to be transformed by him. Now, finally, we see what holds it all together. Christianity is the promised faith. Listen to what he says, how he closes with these two. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is so cool, you guys. This is Jesus doing an Old Testament Bible study. And here's what he's saying. This book is about me, period. He's talking about Old Testament here, okay? So you people who've never read like the first two thirds of the book, this is Jesus saying it's a good idea to read it, all right? He's saying, this is about me. He's teaching us how to read it, okay? So we all kind of get what Jesus is saying here, I think. We would know it's foolish to go to a cookbook for advice on how to work on our car, Right, that's not what this book is for. So, I'm about to make somebody uncomfortable. I feel like I'm sorry, but I think this is what Jesus is trying to show us here. So, here we go. Uh, the Bible is not really a guidebook for life. Um, it's not. It's not really a rule book. It's not really a science book. <laughs> and. Not even really a history book. Does it, have, does it have helpful suggestions on how to make wise decisions? Yes. Does it contain rules? Yes. Does it say true things about science? I think so. I think so, yes. That was supposed to be funny. Yes. <laughs> does it contain true history? Yes. Hilariously so. Like watch secular academicians, or however you say that, people who work at colleges, squirm trying to deal with how reliable the Bible is, okay? So you can get all of those things from the Bible. But if you don't read it primarily as the revelation from God of who Jesus is, you will miss it. The, The goal of the Bible, please hear me, The goal of the Bible is to show you who Jesus is so you can make the decision, will I walk with him? That is the goal of the scriptures. You'll be blind to the scriptures if you come any other way. And so when you come to the scriptures, I'm going to go sideways here for a second. If you come to the scriptures saying, I'm going to see what the Bible has to say about morality issue X. Before you've decided what does the Bible say about who Jesus is, listen, you'll find stuff, all right? You'll find stuff, but you already know what you think about morality, okay? And then when you find, maybe you'll find a couple of issues that the Bible disagrees with you or agrees with you on and you'll be like, interesting. And then you'll find issues that the Bible disagrees with you on. And you'll be like, well, that's silly. And you'll end up with a Bible like Thomas Jefferson. You know, he literally cut stuff out of the Bible he didn't like. Well, there you go. That's what will happen. That is not the point of the Bible, okay? And if you come to it that way, you are missing it. Jesus opened it for them and showed them all the things. He said, you can't see me now because you've been reading the book wrong. Don't you know this is what they've been talking about? This is what the prophets were talking about. And this is what the Old Testament was talking about. It's all about me. If you come asking the Bible, who is Jesus? This is what you'll see. Long ago, God promised that a ruler would come the same day that he was walking around in the garden, the same day that he threw us out of his presence because we rebelled against him. On that same day, he said, but a ruler will come who will bring you back home. A ruler will come who will make it possible for us to know one another again and be in relationship. But this ruler will come in humility, This ruler will come and assume your suffering. He would be poor. He would be rejected and despised, just like so many of you have been. He would be unjustly accused, like so many of you have been. He would be betrayed and alienated, like so many of you have been. He would take the place of the rebel criminal that all of us deserve, and he would die a death he didn't deserve. And ultimately, this ruler would be raised victorious. He would ascend to heaven, and he would rule the universe. And see, this, that word rescue we talked about earlier, it doesn't simply mean set free. It means set free by way of ransom. Liberated by paying a debt. And this is what Jesus has done. If you come to the Bible openly, And I plead with you, if you are anywhere close to being on the fence about who Jesus is, come to the Bible openly and honestly to say, who who are you? Let me find it here. You will see that Jesus is the king who was promised to you from long ago. This was not a makeup plan, what happened here. He was the one who had to suffer for you. He was the one who was promised. He is the king who will transform you. Why? Because he wants to go on a walk with you. Does that not look beautiful to you? Does that not seem compelling to you? Would you not be interested to take a lap around the neighborhood with that man and hear what he might have to say to you? How do you become a Christian? See Jesus as the promised, the once and future king, right? As the rescue of your soul, as your redeemer, And from there, let him lead you. There's no question to ask of Christianity until you've answered the question, who is Jesus? Because if he's a crazy person, then it doesn't really matter what he said about any other thing. But if he's God, that changes the conversation. You see that? I'm fine disagreeing with a crazy person. It changes the conversation if I'm going to disagree with someone who rose from the dead and is God. How do you remain a Christian? Do you see how it's just the same? Walk with him, Christian. Ask him to transform you. Listen when he leads. Christian, I hope you read the Bible. It's it's unbelievable. And I dare you, before you read the Bible this week, say, God, show me Jesus. You know what the Bible says how we change? Go check this out. Search the scriptures. People change in the presence of God. 1 John 3, when we see Jesus We'll be made like him because we'll see him as he is. If all the scriptures are about Jesus, how do we change? God, show me Jesus. I'm gonna come to you. I'm gonna read this. Show me Jesus. Don't let me stop until I see him. On every page, in every verse, show me Jesus and watch what will happen to you. He's gonna mess around with you, all right? He's gonna change your opinions on stuff. He's gonna ask you to do stuff. So trust him, lead, or let him lead. Follow him, let him confront you. Trust him knowing he's overhauling all that you are, fundamentally who you are. Trust him knowing that he's the only one worthy of doing such a work. So we come to communion to be reminded of why we can trust him, of his great love for us, because this is not an easy work. This is a long work. Sometimes it's a very confusing work. And so hang with me for just a few more seconds. We remember on the night that he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. What does this mean? The body of Christ was broken for you. Your ransom was paid. The assumption is you are a mess, okay? If it's your mess that's keeping you from coming to Jesus, look to the broken body of Christ. It need not keep you any longer. If it's your grief, if it's your sorrow, if it's your confusion, if it's your anger, if it's the mistakes you've made, the body of Christ was broken for you. Your ransom has been paid. God demands nothing else from you. Thanks be to God. After the meal, he took a cup of wine and said, this is what seals my relationship with you. Drink this and remember my blood shed for you. What makes us safe with God? What secures our relationship with God? It's the blood of Christ shed for you. It is not your performance, Christian. It is not how quickly you change. It is not your promises of change. It is the blood of Christ and nothing but the blood of Christ that seals your relationship with God, which means we can be patient, which means you can be a mess and you can come to him. Our tradition at Sojourn is to come forward and rip off a piece of bread. You can dip it in wine or juice, whichever you'd prefer. Wine will have a piece of twine wrapped around it and there'll be gluten-free elements to my left, your right. If you're here and you're not a Christian, um, if you don't believe what this means or symbolizes, we ask that you not participate in it, uh, but the risen Christ is present with us today and he's inviting you on this journey and we ask that you'd take him up on his offer and start going on a walk with him. I'll pray for us and then Christians, you can come forward as you're ready. Let's pray.